Hey, I am really excited today for a couple of reasons. One, I get to talk about money. <laughs> Just kidding. We don't talk about money very often, but today I do want to talk about generosity. And we really can't talk about generosity without talking about how incredibly generous God has been to us. And so at the end of our service today, we will celebrate communion. And if you did not get a communion cup on your way in, could you raise your hand and let our ushers find you so that uh, I can make sure that when we get to that time in the service uh, that you'll be prepared. If you're watching online, uh, be sure you go find uh, some bread and some juice so that uh, we can celebrate that and include you in the things that we're going to do here at the end of the service. Like I said, I get to talk about giving today. And uh, I, I want you to, to hear two things kind of to set the stage. Number one, we give to what we believe in. I realize I hung a preposition at the end of the sentence, but I couldn't help it. We give to what we believe in. And number two, there's something deep inside of us that we all want, and that's to be involved with something that is too big for us to accomplish it on our own. So, so we, we invest where we believe, right? We, 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 we believe so we support. But we all want to be part of something that's a whole bunch bigger than we are. The very first line in the Scripture that I'll handle today, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul starts off the whole thing by saying it's needless. He actually uses the word superfluous, and I have never used the word superfluous in a sermon, so I will. He starts off saying it is superfluous for me to even talk about this because you're so generous already. And that's kind of the way I feel. I have never known Dunwoody Baptist Church not to be generous. And if you're here for the first time or the first time in a long time, and probably the last time you came, we talked about money. Well, we don't talk about it very often because you're already so generous. You give of your time. You give of your, uh, your wisdom. Uh, you, you have expertise in something. You, you make that available for us. You volunteer for stuff. Not enough of you have volunteered for Vacation Bible School, but I'll continue to pray that you won't sleep. I actually got a phone call this week. Somebody accused me of ruining their sleep. That's on you. Volunteer for VBS. So you're already very, very generous. And I, I actually made a list. Uh, if, if you are new to our fellowship, you, you might not know all this. You, Dunwoody Baptist Church, have given over $11 million in three years in order to move into this debt-free. We, we are a debt-free church because you believed in something and you supported it to the tune of $11 million over three years. Now, let me put that in context. When I met with the fundraising experts ahead of time, they said, Alan, based on the giving in your congregation and the patterns, about $4.5 million is what you can expect to raise. 
I said, I just don't think that's true. I, I think we are all ready to invest in something, remember I said it earlier, bigger than anything we could do on our own. We, we are ready to chew on a God-sized task, and you gave over $11 million in three years. You have funded mental health initiatives. You were way ahead of the curve. The, the foundation that Kathy was talking about just a minute ago, back in the 70s, a group of businessmen started the DBC Foundation, and that allows us to have a vehicle where estate gifts and, and legacy giving and, and even corporate match kind of things can be done in a way that is off of the church budget, off of the, 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 the nonprofit side and into an investment side, and, and that has created a fund where if a couple or an individual needs counseling, they can come, we can refer them to the appropriate mental health counselor, depending on what their need is, and we can provide the seed money for them to start that relationship to see if that's going to be helpful to them, a mental health initiative. You have funded a scholarship initiative to allow men and women who feel a call to ministry in some way, shape, or form to have their graduate studies significantly funded because of the generosity of this church. You have responded to the biblical call to respect the lives, including the lives of the preborn, with an adoption initiative. This is brand new. It's in the foundation. An adoption initiative that will allow families at DBC, when you feel like you want to be a part of the solution and include adoption into your thinking, that DBC has a grant to provide a family with some of the expenses that are incurred when you bring a child into your home in that way. You've done that. You have supported an ongoing budget. Every year that I've been here as pastor, you have given beyond the budget. And so you have supported the ongoing budget to a point that for each of the years I've been a pastor, you've generously given, allowing us to support ministries above and beyond what is budgeted. And then finally, you've supported the DBC Foundation. We've talked about that a little bit. That foundation has given over $8 million to various mission causes since its inception. And with some of the emphasis that you'll hear, by the way, if you are interested in the foundation work, we'll have an interest meeting after this to talk about legacy giving. <laughs> Let me talk about legacy giving. It's so embarrassing for a pastor. Just be with me for a minute. Legacy giving is where you would buy an insurance policy and name the church, or you would write uh, DBC as part of your will. Judy and I have done that. When, 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 when we die, the church gets money. And that puts a pastor in a real awkward position, right? I mean, if I ask you to include legacy giving when we're trying to do construction, I'm going to call you and ask how you're feeling. <laughs> because I, I really don't want to pray for you not to do so well so that the church can get money. It's just a way that there is investment, as we've said over and over, you're planting a tree for other generations to sit in the shade. And so legacy giving, if you're interested in that, we'll have a meeting after this service. But today we're talking about giving, and, and here's where I, I really want us to go, a, a biblical view on all of our resources. The, the Bible calls it stewardship, which, which I like a lot better. 
because a steward is a manager of someone else's resources. I'll say that again. A steward is a manager of someone else's resources. And when we begin to think about giving, we say, I give God what is mine. When we think about stewardship, we say, I manage the things that God has given me. And so stewardship is, is really what I want to talk about today because stewardship is, is not so much a matter of the pocketbook. Like we said, it's time, it's talent, it's treasure. It, it, it's all the things that go into us being disciples. And it's about a heart more than it's about a pocketbook. It's about a heart more than it's about hands. This is not a, a new thing. Way back in the Old Testament, David said this, you do not delight in sacrifice, or I bring it. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. That was the, the, the giving of the day, burnt offerings before God, uh, uh, bring uh, sacrifices so that the, the, the work in the temple could be supported. But my sacrifice, he says, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Now, the, the setting behind that, that prayer was that David had been exposed for the greatest documented sin in the Bible, the, 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 the adultery that he committed with Bathsheba. And now he's coming before the Lord and he said, I, I want you to forgive me for this. And if it requires giving, I will give it. If it, it requires sacrifice, I will sacrifice. If it requires offerings, I'll offer but what God revealed to David is that all giving starts with a broken heart. All giving starts with, with broken heart and then open hands. Psalm 40, in sacrifice and offering, you've not delighted, but you've given me an open ear. I'm listening, God. Talk to me. Burnt offering in sin, you've not required those kinds of offerings. So I, then I said, behold, I've, I've come in the scroll of the book, in the scripture, in the, in the book. It's written of me. I delight to do your will. Let that be what is written, that I delight to do your will, that, that, that I bring you a broken heart, that I bring you an attitude, a, a gratitude, an offering of praise. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. And so Paul is writing a letter to the Corinthian church, and in that uh, church, I, I probably need to give you a little bit of background of what's going on here. The church at that time, first century, in Jerusalem was really suffering. And if you'll remember, Jerusalem was where Jesus did the last week of his life. It's where he was crucified. It's where the Jewish uh, uh, capital was. It's where the, the whole center of all of this system of sacrifices, it was Jerusalem. And so when there arose in Jerusalem a group of people who followed the new covenant that we'll celebrate in just a little bit with communion, when there arose a group of people who said, wait a minute, there's a different way. It's not about sacrificing animals so that God would forgive us. It's about embracing Jesus' death on the cross so that God will forgive us a new covenant, a new way. And, and, and in Jerusalem where the, the, the roots of Judishness, Judaism were so thick, the Christian church was suffering. Nobody would do business with them. 
They, they were persecuted. They, they, they weren't allowed to have the privileges that some others were have. The, and, and financially, they were just destitute. It wasn't the same way in some of the outer lying places where Paul and others had, had taken the, the message of the gospel, the message of the new covenant. It wasn't that way. They weren't being persecuted. They were, they were be actually being blessed. And so Paul spent most of his ministry, if you look through the letters that he wrote, there's breadcrumbs all the way through there about the collection that he was taking up among all of the other churches to support the church back in Jerusalem. So, so you're with me. That's, that's what he's talking about here, the offering he's talking about. So he starts to write to the Corinthian church. Apparently, they had started giving, but then they had stopped. Something had stalled. And, and the more I looked into this, the more I went, oh, the people at Dunwoody are going to laugh when they hear this. Because apparently there were two reasons that the offering collection stopped. One, wait for it, they didn't trust the preacher. <laughs> I was just kidding when I said you could laugh. <laughs> they, they, they thought that maybe Paul had mixed motives, that maybe he was skimming a little bit. That, that maybe he was preaching for, for money, that, and, and certainly that he was collecting money so that, so that he would have his own needs met. False teachers were kind of spreading that rumor. The other thing that was going on is that they weren't convinced of the need. They, they weren't convinced of the need. And Paul is saying, listen, I, I'm giving my life to this. In Romans chapter 15, he, he mentions, he says, I'm giving my very life for this collection, this offering. He, he talks about it almost as much as he talks about the blood of Christ sacrificed on the cross being sufficient for the forgiveness of our sins. He, he talked almost as much about this money that he was trying to collect to deliver it to Jerusalem. And so he says to them, wait for it. There is no need for me to write to you about this. I, I know you guys. You, you know this need. You, you know that it's real. You've seen enough persecution here in Corinth. You, you get it. He said, I, I don't need to write to you about the service to the Lord's people. I know that you are eager to help. You guys started strong. You, 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 you started this collection. You, you did really, really well. Now, a little geography here. Greece is where Corinth is, okay? Corinth is in the south part of Greece, or, the, or kind of the south central. Greece is three areas. The north is Macedonia. The middle part is Achaia. That's where Athens is. And then a little bit south into the west is Corinth. And then south of Corinth is the Peloponnesian Peninsula. That's kind of the three big areas of Greece, and so Paul here is in Achaia, and he's saying, listen, I, I, I know I've been boasting about you guys up north. I've been telling the Yankees about how you southerners are. Y'all are nice. Bless your heart. Y'all are, are generous givers. And he says, I've been bragging about you to the Macedonians. I'm telling you that last year, you and Achaia were ready to give. Your enthusiasm has stirred them. It's motivated them. It's, it's a little contest from the north and the south. 
He said, but you guys have stalled in your giving. You don't trust me. You don't trust the, 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 the proceeds. You don't trust the, the cause. But I'm sending the brothers. And that would have been Titus and another apostle who was unnamed. They delivered this letter to Corinth. He said, I'm sending them so that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. For if the Macedonians, Yankees, if they come with me and find you unprepared, I'll be so embarrassed, and you will too. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you, finish the arrangements for the gift, then it will be ready as a gift not grudgingly given. So, okay, that was then, this is now. What is this about? Paul is, is basically stating the leaders are behind this. The leaders in Macedonia, the leaders in Corinth, and certainly I. He said, Paul, I, I, I'm giving my life to this. And, and if I was to leap it forward a couple of thousand years, I, w- I would tell you that the leadership at Dunwoody Baptist Church, they're, they're committed to this. Our, our leadership team gives, our staff gives. Judy and I have been giving uh, at least 10% of our, uh, our income ever since we got married which was, by the way, 39 years ago yesterday. So here's, here's what I'm trying to say. We're, we're not saying look at us. The word tithe, it's not even really a biblical command. It's a guideline. Uh, it goes all the way back to Abraham's time. It's never presented in the Bible as do this and God will be happy. It's a, it's a guideline because we humans need a little bit of accountability. We need to kind of get our minds around what we're talking about here. The Bible says, give of your heart. And whatever your heart tells you to give, give that. If it's 10%, great. If it's 5%, great. If it's 100%, yay. But seriously, it, 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 don't, don't, don't focus on those kinds of things. Paul is saying to the Corinthians, and he would say to us, the leadership is behind it because we are aware of two things. One, you give what you believe in, you support what you believe in, and two, you all want to be part of something greater than yourself. Paul is saying, I'm going to Macedonia, I'm going to Achaia, I'm going to the Peloponnesian, I'm going up to Philippi, I'm going over to Galatia, I'm going over to Colossa. I'm going all over the place, even over in Turkey. I'm going I'm to hit up the Ephesians to help the suffering church in Jerusalem. We support what we believe in, and we all want to be part of something bigger than ourselves. Well, Paul keeps going there. And so in the, uh, the, the Scripture that follows, By the way, all the way back in chapter 8, he's talking about this offering, but he picks up in verse 6, and this is really fascinating. He says, the point is this. The point is this. So, stewardship requires stepping out in faith and counting the cost. It's about balance. He says, the point is this, and he gives us a law that is misunderstood a lot in Scripture, the law of sowing and reaping. The law of sowing and reaping. 
And he says, if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. If you're stingy with what you put in the ground, you're going to be stingy with what comes up. Those of you who have tried to overseed fescue in your yard year after year, you know that this is true. The more seed you put down, the more grass comes up. The law of sowing and reaping. So he says, whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. So he's talking about the harvest, but, but he's not trying to say you give so you can get. There, there's a whole bunch of preachers who have kind of mishandled that, and they said you've got to give in order to be blessed, and the more you give, the more you'll be blessed. You can't outgive God, and everything is put in a financial term. Well, the very first slide I had you look at said stewardship is about time, talent, and treasure. Time, talent, and treasure. And all God is saying here in the law of sowing and reaping is that I will bless you when you give. He's not saying I'm going to give you a return on your investment. I'm not going to to buy low and sell high and, and watch what the market's doing. Well, don't watch what the market's doing right now, but, but he, he's not trying to say that there is a, a financial get here. He's putting it in an illustration of agriculture so he can say there is a law that is universal. When we give, we get, and we get in a lot of ways. And so he goes on. I love this. This is my favorite word translated in Greek. He says, each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Do you know what the word cheerful translates as? Anybody? Hilarious. Best translation. God loves a hilarious giver. Can you just imagine cackling with tears of joy as you put your offering in the plate? I think it would be a really interesting time if we just sort of hung around the offering boxes out there in the lobby just to see who was just overcome with belly laughter when they were put. That's basically what he's saying. We are so overjoyed with the idea that God is going to multiply this, and it'll come back to us in some way, shape, or form in a way of a blessing. Maybe it's a people blessing. Maybe it's a monetary blessing. Maybe it's the idea that that we start small, and we believe in it, and all of a sudden, we've got $11 million in three years, and God does what nobody by themselves could have done. Maybe that's the blessing. But he says it's hilarious. It's hilarious when we, when we see that principle at work. I love a hilarious giver. And then he says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, he may abound in every, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he's distributed freely, he's given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He's, of course, of course quoting a, a verse from Isaiah there. He goes on, he who supplies seed to the sower, bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest. You get it. But the principle that is here, and and, and what what I'd love for you to hang on to is this. You can 
give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. You can give without loving. There are lots of people who give to the church, who give to the nonprofit, who give to the alumni association, who give to the, the neighborhood guy selling light bulbs, or to the. There's a lot of people who give, and you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. That's the law of sowing and reaping. You, the most famous verse that any of us quote how does it go? For God so loved that he gave. So God so loved that he gave. That's, that's why it's appropriate to do communion on a Sunday that we're talking about giving, is because God established that principle. He said, I love you so much, I am giving you. God so loved the world that he gave his only son all that he had, so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. So Paul wraps it up. He says the needs of the saints, yes, but also worship. The ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. It's worship. I, I remember very much the day when we, in, when we talked about the amount that you had pledged to Main Street. But even more than that, I, I, I remember the day that the donor said, I, I want to support adoption. We, we can't rail against abortion in this church without standing for something. I want to stand for adoption. I wept. Hey, my, my joy overflowed in thanksgiving. The idea that we would support men and women who would be interested in, in pursuing a life of ministry. The idea that we would stand with people who were struggling with mental health issues. The idea that we would support mission partners in Liberia and Guatemala and downtown Atlanta and Doraville. The, the idea that we would invest in the things to go where God is working and be there to support it. We, we talk about this all the time with our missions uh, uh, group that, that when we decide on a missions partner, we say, experience, how can we at Dunwoody Baptist Church experience your ministry? Education, what can we learn about your ministry and the way God is using you to reach people? Sustainability, can it exist without Dunwoody money because we can see what God is doing and we want to be a, a part of linking hands with many other ministries to do something greater than anybody could ever do on their own. Gospel-centric, is, is it just trying to give somebody something to eat or is it giving them the gospel so that they can eat for eternity? Does it move the needle with a need in our community? Because Jesus was always about physical needs being met, emotional needs being met, social needs being met. That, that's what he was about, and our, our missions team has moved forward, and, 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 and it overflows in many thanksgivings to God. But let me do one more thing. A lot of times when we talk about giving, we talk about it in terms of giving from, giving, I mean giving to. 
We, we talk about giving to our church. We talk about giving to the nonprofit. We talk about giving to, giving to, giving to. I gave money to, end of the year. I got all these statements about all of the places where I contributed giving to. And the weird thing about the Bible is that that's never the emphasis with God. It's always giving from a heart. Giving from gratitude. Giving from an overflow. Giving from a transformed life. That's what giving is about. It's not about I've got a few coins to throw in the plate, though we appreciate it when you do. It's about is your heart being transformed? Is the sacrifice of your heart a broken, and, uh, is your sacrifice a broken and contrite heart? The, the, the money is, is so ironic because we talk about giving to God and he doesn't need any of it. He allows it so that giving from is emphasized in the scripture, giving from a transformed heart, giving from an attitude of praise, giving from an overflow, giving from the blessings that we have. Not to something. It's an offering of gratitude and humility. And that's why we do communion is because we never want to forget. He told us, don't forget. Don't forget that I loved you so much that I gave. And so occasionally what I I call you to do as a church is to celebrate the the new way of doing things, the, the way that was causing that Jerusalem church to suffer so much. He says, I'm calling you to remember that. And so Paul, writing to this same church just a few chapters earlier, it was actually in the first letter that he sent to them, or the first letter that we have, and he said, don't ever forget that he gave. Don't ever forget his shameless, selfless, don't don't ever forget that God so loved you that he gave his only son. And so we celebrate communion And we celebrate with a wafer, an unleavened bread that represents his body. And we celebrate with a cup that represents the new covenant. When Paul writes about this, he said in the following instructions, I, I don't commend you. You're, you're losing sight of what it is when you come together. You, you, you bicker about the wrong things. He said, but here's what you should rally around. Here's what you should gather around. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. He says, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that when the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body and it is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is the body of Christ. Then he goes on to talk about that which had caused so much suffering in the Jerusalem church. 
He said there's a new way of sacrifice. And that way was accomplished on the cross. So he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. It represents the blood that was shed to die for you. This is the cup of the new covenant. Some of you, this is all weird. Some of you giving and communion, all of that's brand new to you. It's These are symbols of the life of a disciple, and and certainly they are central to what we believe here at Dunwoody Baptist Church. We love God. We love people. We make disciples. We make a difference. Out of what? We live because we are passionately in love with Jesus, and we are committed to the transformation of our homes, our church, our community, and our world. Transformation that allows giving from not giving to transformation that allows us to celebrate the the new covenant this is our sacrifices our heart sacrifices if that just sounds weird to you we'd love to have a conversation about how God has made it possible for you to be forgiven for you to be at one with him for you experience that peace and transformation that I've been talking about We have ushers in the lobby afterwards with green shirts on. They will point you to a pastor. I I hang around either here or back in the lobby. Please find me. Let's have this conversation. Let's talk about what it means for you to receive Christ into your life and begin to live the life of a disciple. If this is the first time you've ever thought about giving, I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for hearing of this discipline, of this this practice of discipleship. And, and, and we've had many first-time givers over the past several weeks, and, and I don't thank you enough for taking seriously the, the, the obedience that comes with supporting the work. But thank you. And if this is a day when you need to have a conversation about receiving Christ, about what it means to give, then, then let's have that conversation soon. Find somebody in a green shirt. Find one of us. Let's, let's start the talk. Pray with me. Gracious Lord, thank you for this day. A day, Lord, when we can celebrate generosity. Where we can talk about giving and the things that you have done and are doing. Lord, thank you. Guide us as we go from this place that our lives would be in tune with you, even in these passages of Scripture that feel so strange. It's just that they all point to you in gratitude for what you have done. And for that we give thanks in Jesus' name.